0: We are starting a new series and it is titled Origin Stories. And if you have not gotten one of the sermon handouts, please go get one now. You will enjoy this more. It'll it'll be more meaningful. Origin Stories. It is a study of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Sometimes called Primeval History. Genesis chapter 12 zooms in on Abraham and the rest of Genesis is all about uh, Abraham's family, which is very appropriate because it is through Abraham and his seed and ultimately that one seed, Jesus Christ, through whom God blesses the world, saves the world from the power, presence, and penalty of sin. Most people accept the idea that Moses Authored Genesis, or at least the bulk of it. It might have been kind of packaged. uh, You know, had some help later with some packaging. But uh, Moses, the founder of the nation of Israel, wrote Genesis, and one of his purposes was to give the nation an identity. Here is who you are. Here is what you're called to do. He's telling them the story of the nation. And it's super significant that he does not begin with Abraham. There are 11 chapters before you get to Abraham in which Moses sets Israel's story in the larger story of God. This is super significant because what Abraham understands is that Israel cannot understand their story without understanding it in the context of God's bigger story. Only when we understand what God is up to can we understand what we're supposed to be up to. This is true for the nation of Israel, and it is true for you, and it's true for me. So much so that I spent time making a super cool graphic. Check it out, right? If there is one thing we want you to get in this whole series, it's this. You will be healthiest and happiest when you live out your story in harmony with God's bigger story. The Bible tells us that we live and move and have our being in God. In other words, if God were not willing me to ex- into existence right now, I have no life. And I only have a story because God has a story. And, and he has a role for me to play in that bigger story. And, and so what I want to do, and what you want to do, is take time to understand God's big story. What is God up to? So that takes time and energy, right? Study the Bible. The more we know the Bible, the more we understand God's big story so that we can understand our story, how our story fits in. So we need to know God's story, we need to believe it, and then we need to be... Uh, Living in harmony with God's story, which is a lifelong process, right? Of of seeking to um, harmonize our behaviors and harmonize our priorities and harmonize our belief system and then harmonize our desires with God's bigger story. But the more that I, that we live in harmony with God's bigger story, the more the happier and healthier we will be. So that that's just. A fundamental um, belief that we as Christians have and here's the tragedy. The tragedy is an increasing percentage of people in our country are disconnecting their story from God's story. There, uh, the, la- the latest research I can find was a Pew study from 2014. I have uh, one of the graphs there for you and sixty three percent of Americans claim to have a strong belief in God. Another twenty percent have a somewhat of a belief in God. but that means that uh, that means that seventeen percent of Americans are completely disconnecting their story from god 's story, and even those who believe in god how how serious are they in harmonizing their life. With God's Well, if you disconnect your story from God's, that's a problem, the Bible says. Because it means that you are not going to experience life to the full. You will have more brokenness in your life than you need to have. God is up to something. And he has a plan for our life. And we are healthiest and happiest when we live uh, in harmony with that bigger story. Chapter nine, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. And this is speaking to you and to me, Mike. What can be known about God is plain to you. Because God has shown it to you. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so you are without excuse. The Bible does not seek to prove the existence of God. It asserts the existence of God and says the natural world clearly displays the existence of God. So why do some people not believe? Well, the very next verse tells us why. And it's not because they lack evidence, it's because their hearts are hardened. It's because they have been deceived by the devil to believe that their story is best lived, disconnected from God's story. And what the evil one has been deceiving people from the very beginning of is this. You're going to have your best possible life if you are autonomous, if you're sitting on the throne, if you get to call all the shots and you don't have to consider the will of God for you. Just live your life the way you want to live it, and that's going to make you healthiest and happiest. And a whole lot of people have swallowed that lie. Verse 21 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and here it is, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things exchanged, it's a choice people choose not to believe in God because they believe through deception that their life story will be better lived disconnected from God and that's tragic because it won't be it won't be if you want to have life and have it to the full, live your story in harmony with God's story. Now, the Bible doesn't prove the existence of God, but Christians have appreciated arguments that uh, point out the fact that a belief in God is not anti-intellectual. That actually, a belief in God is highly plausible, and we don't have to check our our minds at the door in order to be God-fearing people. Let me uh, just comment on three of the most historical um, evidences for God, these arguments. There's three of them. Number one is the cosmological argument. And the cosmological argument says this. Something doesn't come from nothing. We look around and we see something. We see this material, natural universe. Where did it come from? A creator God seems to be the best explanation for the natural world. In fact, uh, the secularist does not have an answer for the question of where did something come from nothing. There, there are proposals, uh, but the creator God seems most plausible to many. The second argument is the teleological argument, which means ends, and it's this. You look at the natural world, and it seems to have an order to it. It seems to be uh, arranged intelligently. And so intelligent design suggests an intelligent designer, right? You find a watch, and you look at how a watch is constructed. You would conclude there must be a watchmaker. You look at the natural world with its, its apparent design, and... Many people believe the most plausible explanation for that is the existence of God, an intelligent designer. Uh, the third argument is called the anthrop- anthropological argument, and, and it uh, it looks at humans and says, "Boy, how do you account for humans having a consciousness uh, or a conscience? How do you and a consciousness?" How do you account for them having uh, morality and and being relational and having language and having emotions? And many believe that the most pl- uh, the most uh, pl- uh, plausible explanation for that is they're created in the image of a personal God, and they and that's what gives them these things. So these are not proofs of the existence of God. They just Uh, help us see that a belief in God is not irrational, it's not anti-intellectual. In fact, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, I want to challenge this belief that your best life is lived disconnected from God's story. You, the autonomous you, who doesn't have to uh, give an account to anyone else that you just, you get to decide for yourself what is good and bad and how, how best to live your life, that that's going to result in your best life. I want to challenge that. And I want to do that by talking about five areas in life that I believe having a belief in God gives you a distinct advantage. And I feel these personally, and you're going to, uh, you're going to see that. And the, So, you ready for this? Five areas. By the way, if you have a bulletin, you can take notes here. The five five areas of life in which a belief in God gives you a distinct advantage. And the first one is morality, or sometimes thought of as the law. And it's the answer to the question: um, How can I discover what is good and bad for me? Now, if you are a believer in God, uh, you don't you don't think that you just start life with a blank slate or that you are in a dark room and you have to fumble around and try to decide for yourself what is good and bad. You believe that God who created you and cares about you has handed you in the Bible the instruction manual for life. And so God draws the boundary lines and says, live life inside the boundaries and you will be happiest and healthiest. You go outside the boundaries, and, and it's going, you're going to be hurt. And so you don't have to ask questions like, should I lie or cheat on my spouse or, right? God has drawn the boundary lines. And so there's a lot of freedom to go live our lives, but there are nice, clear boundaries that we can that can we can live in, in within and and so when you believe in God and you believe that he cares about you and that he has drawn those boundary lines it makes choices about life much simpler on the other hand if you don't believe in God if you have a purely naturalistic or secular view of the world uh, how do you decide what's good and bad for you well either through you know personal trial and error right exploration, uh, which of course can waste a whole lot of your life and bring on a whole lot of hardship into your, into your life because you try things out that aren't good for you and poof, the consequences cascade in your life and they can be massive. Or you do your best to try to discern which voice should I listen to. And let me tell you, there, there are competing voices on every issue, aren't there? You know, think about an affair, Uh, is having an affair going to be good for you or bad for you? Well, you, there will be, I remember uh, not so long ago listening to an NPR show, National Public Radio, and they have this supposed uh, expert on there arguing for uh, the idea that sometimes affairs are very healthy and can help you and help your marriage. Do you listen to that Uh, or do you listen to and other voices that talk about the destructive, you know, the damage of, of an affair. Or marijuana, right? You're people who say marijuana is really bad for you and, and it'll ruin your life. And others who say it's the greatest thing. You need it in your life if you want to be healthy and happy. So if you don't believe in God, you, it's, it's up to you to decide what's good for me and bad for me. And I have been following Christ since I was young, not perfectly by any means, but I have believed in God and believed that this is the instruction manual for life. I've played largely within bounds and I have no regrets. I have no regrets. The only, well, the only regrets I have is when I have not done it God's way. And when I've done it, I've felt the sting. And I have observed so many people who have gone outside the boundaries and they've experienced the brokenness in their lives. Testimony after testimony and testimony. What I haven't experienced is people who have, who have done it God's way and then said, boy, that, that didn't pay off. Right? So in this whole issue of morality and how do I decide what's good and bad, for I think a belief in God uh, is, gives us a tremendous advantage. So that's area number one. Second area has to do with meaning in life. And it's the the answer to the question, um, why should I carry on when life's hardships outweigh life's joys? I had a roommate in college. I've told this story before, Ben. I love Ben. He and I were just dear friends, roomed uh, together for a couple years. Uh, When Ben entered college, he was a Christian. He had been president of his youth group. He and I took a class on titled The Origin of Life by Stephen Jay Gould. And it was a, uh, a, an attempt to convince us that God was not a part of the origin of the universe. Uh, Stephen Jay Gould mocked the Christian faith. And Ben lost his belief in God as a result of that class. Didn't shake me at all. I was unconvinced uncompelled by the arguments, but, for, but it got to Ben, and so then I remember Ben and I had many conversations uh, over the next year, and Ben struggled with depression, even in college, and what he said to me is, he said, Mike, when I believed in God, I had a reason to live even when life sucked, But now that I don't believe in God, why should I keep living when life's hardship outweighs its joys? And we talked about that a lot. A year after we graduated from college, he put the gun to his head and took his life. And I had to go do the eulogy. And frankly, I blame Stephen Jay Gould for that. It makes me mad. What did he think he was doing? Liberating our minds from... What, the constraining belief in God? He took away, my friends, purpose and meaning in life. You're not better off without a belief in God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, we read this. The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Your life is so important, it matters so much that the God of the universe will hold you accountable for how you've lived it. Does your life matter? Yes, it matters. It matters so much that God is taking notice And someday we'll call you to give an account for how you've lived your life. And and so people armed with that belief, they have a reason to live even when life gets hard. Because if they will walk through the hardship in faith, you know what? God is going to reward them in the afterlife. The third area... In life where a belief in God gives us uh, a significant advantage is in times of trouble. Where can I turn for help in my time of trouble? Well, if you're a Christian, you can turn to God, the one who has all power. Psalm chapter 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will glorify me. Psalm chapter 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Will you find yourself in a place of need someday? Yes, you will. Absolutely, you will. And without God, where do you go? Well, you better take care of yourself. Hopefully, you have some family and friends you can turn to, or good doctors you can turn to, or enough money to buy the best care. But they're not—they're not all powerful. But God's all powerful. So, a number of years ago, I married this young couple. Such a bright future in front of them. Uh, Two weeks later, they're at my house. In the intervening time, in those two weeks, he had been diagnosed with brain cancer young 20s, now he might die. You don't have a belief in God, what do we say? Well, I hope the medicine works. I hope those doctors can help you. Instead, we talked about God. We can pray, and we can entrust our lives to God, and He can take care of us, and He can heal, and He can heal through the doctors, right? By the way, that had a a great outcome. That's been, uh, praise the Lord, that has been managed now for many years. I missed an illustration. I'm going to pick this up here, by the way. I've been, I couldn't preach this sermon without this thing. Okay. By the way, I have been wanting a giant crescent wrench for a long time, and this sermon prompted me to buy one. Yes. So this illustration comes from uh, Pastor James. We're talking about meaning this week. And and I, we were talking about how, you know, uh, many non-Christians would say, I don't need God to give me meaning and purpose in life. I give it, you know, to myself. And I, I um, am okay with the meaning that I have supplied. It's enough. Um, but then Pastor James said, yeah, but... But if, even if you feel good about the meaning you've given, if it's not the real reason you were, des- you know, for what you were designed, it's like a crescent wrench pounding nails. Like, oh, that's good. Uh, so imagine this crescent wrench says, you know what? I can pound nails. I'm actually quite, I'm pretty successful at that. And comes to the end of its life and, and it says, look how many nails I pounded. And it did. It was able to, you know, pound some nails. And it says, I was, I was satisfied being a nail pounder throughout my life. And what would the rest of us be thinking? Yeah. But you missed your purpose. You should have been, you know, some uh, turning bolts. You were designed, clearly designed to turn bolts. You would have been far more effective turning bolts. You have to believe that, uh, that a crescent wrench would be more satisfied Turning bolts, and so there are a whole bunch of people who who are satisfying themselves with you know pounding nails living their life for a purpose other than the one that they were created for, and they're diluted to thinking that's the best possible life they could be living right and so God does have a purpose in life he has designed us for something, and we cannot live out our true purpose disconnected from. God's greater story. The fourth area in life where a belief in God gives us a distinct advantage is uh, the area of hope. And hope answers the question, how can I be sure that things are going to get better? When you come to a point where you think Give up a any kind of a belief that things can be better, whether that's in a relationship or in a job, or in life. You 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 lose hope and you want to give up. So this week I was uh, talking to to a guy. He his wife is really sick, and he's grieving uh, the 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 possibility that his wife might die much younger than he had expected. He's a little bit older in life, and and uh, th- and so he's he's wrestling with the possibility that uh, life's circumstances are not going to be ever get back to where they were. Right? Is my is my best life behind me? Well, as a Christian, we always have our best life in front of us, and that fills us with hope. Constantly, no matter what your circumstance is in life. As a Christian, your best lies in front of you. And that's what we're reminded of in 1 John chapter 3. Verse 2, we read this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He, Jesus Christ, appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So, for the Christian, we thank God when life is good, when we're physically healthy, when our our family is intact, when we have all our needs met, and we are enjoying God's world. We say, thank you, Lord. But we know that... Uh, That the goodness of here and now is just a pale shadow of what it will be. And so on the flip side, when the circumstances of life get difficult, really difficult sometimes, and we say, God, help me survive the day, we still can look forward to that future that is going to be glorious. As Revelation says, there's coming a day for the Christian when there's no more pain, no more tears, no more brokenness. It's all going to be good. That's the hope that animates the Christian life, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstance is. Take away God from that equation. Why would you necessarily believe things are going to get better? You have no guarantee of that. They might not. And so, hope as you might, your hope is rooted in wishful thinking final area of life in which a distinct uh, belief in God gives us a distinct advantage is the area of love. And it answers this question. Who will both fully know me and fully love me? And we want that, don't we? We want to be fully known and fully loved. That is a craving that we have as humans, and I think it's one of the reasons breakups are so difficult. Breakups are crushing. why? because we've we've opened ourselves up to and let somebody get in close, and then they, then they say, "No, thank you." right? Here, I'm going to let you come and know me." Not maybe not fully, but i'll start to and I'll start to open myself up, and then they say. Oh, thank you, and walk away. That is crushing. That's so crushing. And we long to be fully known and fully loved. This is a deep craving that we have. And what does the Bible say about God's love for us? The Bible says that God knows us fully, knows the number of hairs on our head. There is no secret thought that is hidden from God. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he hasn't run away, has he? He hasn't run away. In fact, he left heaven in the person of Jesus Christ and he went to the cross and he laid down his life that we might live. He saw us with all our flaws, all our failures, and he said, I love you. In fact, I love you so much, I'm willing to die for you. In Romans chapter five, verse eight, we read, "But God shows His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why are we still shaking our fist in God's faith, still rebelling against Him, giving him no glory and honor and attention, and He still loves us, enough to die for us? Apart from a personal relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ, where do you find love like that? Who are you going to find? Where are you going to find somebody who will know you fully and love you fully? But in God, that need is fully satisfied. How do I know what is good and bad for me? well, God tells me. And so uh, I don't have to stumble around in the dark. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God shows us the way to live the best possible life. Why should I carry on when life's pains outweigh its joys? Because my life matters. It matters so much that God is taking notice and will hold me accountable for how I've lived my life. And there's a reward to be had just from enduring, by faith, life's pains. Where can I find help in my time of need? And God says, turn to me. Call upon me, I will answer you, and you'll glorify me. Can I be certain things will get, get better? Yes, you can, because God has promised you a glorious future. Who will know me fully and still love me? God knows me fully and loves me fully in Jesus. These are are deep, core questions, longings in the human heart that God satisfies. And I don't know about you, I don't want to live life apart from God. I believe that life with God is way, way better than apart from God. That my story lived in harmony with God's story is truly the path to life to the full. I believe that more every day, and I ask that God, by His Holy Spirit, would help me day by day live more in harmony with God's story. So maybe you're thinking, okay, I, I want in. I have been living my life disconnected from God's story. How do, I, how do I get back in? Merge your story with God's story by receiving God's Son, Jesus, as your personal Lord and Savior. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says no matter what you've done, how far you've run, for how long, the moment you at, at any moment you can make a decision to... Repent of your sins and put your faith in God's Son, Jesus. Become a Christian, and when you do that, you've merged your story with God's story, and you begin to live life the way it was meant to be lived. And of course, ultimately if your story is lived within God's story, then you experience life everlasting, eternal life, which God promises to His followers. So would you uh, bow your heads and close your eyes and We're just going to take a moment to respond. If you're not yet a Christian and God is speaking to you today and and you're saying, I want in, would you come talk to me after the service? Um, There aren't any magical words. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just say, God, I want a relationship with you. I repent of my sins, and I put your faith in your son, Jesus. I make him the new leader of my life. And if you do that, God will honor that faith with new life. You know, most of us in this room are Christians. And I hope that what God has accomplished uh, in your heart and mind through this sermon is a greater appreciation for the advantage you have through your belief in god that you, your your uh, heart has been thrilled by the truth that yes my relationship with god does give me a much better life and so respond to that with praise to the lord worship him thank him god we do thank you that you live and you reward those who diligently seek you. In your name we pray, amen.